So the, the passage is Romans 12, but we need to begin just a couple verses before Romans 12. Just a few. If you were here last week, we talked about Romans 9 through 11 and the unfathomable riches of God. And he, read, he ends Romans 9 through 11 like this, Paul does. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. Inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor, who has given a gift to him to receive a gift in return? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think, think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection, Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Believe room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Please join me in prayer. Lord, um, till the soil in our hearts this morning, Take the seed of your word, plant it in us, water it, nourish it, let it take root and grow and bear fruit for the whole world. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, who is up for changing the world? Any hands? Anybody up for that? <laughs> Does it need changing? Oh. <laughs> Ed's convinced. Um, okay. Well, let's do it. What do you say? Who's in? I'm in. Um, th this changed the world. What, what we're talking about here, what we're reading, the world changed. There was one world, there was one way the world looked, the Roman Empire looked a certain way. After this, it started to look different. It started to change. I've talked about this, I talked about this uh, a few weeks ago. Um, there's a, there's, sometimes there's a complaint about Paul. You know, I'm not going to defend him. Um, Paul is, uh, you know, Paul's Paul. He doesn't need me to defend him. But the one thing I pointed out a few weeks ago is that some of the ways that we go after Paul, some of the ways that we um, criticize him, are the very things that he came up with in the first place. Are the very implications of the gospel that he originally brought to the world that we use to critique Paul. And so Paul deserves a better hearing, I think, than sometimes we give him. And here, Paul is talking about nothing less than how the world changes completely. What's crucial to understand in the section that I just read, the reason I backed up a little bit, what's crucial to understand is that you can't get any of this without understanding the mercies of God. You can't, he's got, he spent, he was very meticulous for about 11 chapters, very carefully laid out what it means, this idea of the mercies of God. And once you get what the mercies of God are, in some ways you can kind of read Paul as just everything sort of tumbling out of him, all the implications. What if this was true? What if what God had done for us is actually the case well then, it, you know, at some point, I mean, did, did you feel that when I was reading it, this sort of like tumbling of implications? Holy smokes. I mean, um, bless those who persecute you. I mean, some of this is just repeating Jesus, but outdo one another in showing honor, never take vengeance. Um, you have all of these, all of these implications. They're all a sermon on their own. And yeah, we could, we could spend a lot of time trying to parse out the details. Okay, so how does that actually work, Eddie? Like, what are the implications? How does it do it? Paul is not meticulous. Paul is overflowing. Paul can hardly keep up with the implications of what happens once we understand the mercies of God. What are the mercies of God? Again, we've, we've spent some time talking about this. We didn't start in Romans 1. We started in Romans 8. We started at the climax. Um, but it's, it's not, um, and it, it's important to get this right for this reason. Um, God is not a spiritual mechanic. We don't go to God because we have a particular problem, whether it be a bad habit or, or, or um, a, a, nasty, uh, a nasty feeling of guilt. 
or, or even a problem with the afterlife. We're not sure what's going to happen next. So it's not that we go to God and then God gives us a tune-up and then we're on our way to go live our lives. What happens is what we're going to do next week, which is, which is uh, pictured in baptism. We're going to have a baptism at the Poudre River next week. And what happens is we go to God and we exchange our lives. It's a whole life. It's not, you know, it's not a tennis elbow. It's not something that needs to be tweaked. It's an exchange of an entire life. And so everything is now given to us as gift. We have nothing that has not been given to us by God. God has taken the old life, which could have been characterized a lot of ways. He uses broad terms for this. He talks about sin and death, a trajectory towards death, habits that keep us in bondage to sin. This could be you know, a relentless pursuit for honor, to be better than everybody else, a competitive spirit. Um, it, it could be uh, destructive habits. It could be pride. It could be any number of things. But we hand all that over to, to be killed, to die. And then what we receive is an entirely new life. That's the mercy of God. And once you get that new life, well, then what? You know, you've been set free from sin and death. What are you going to do with all this life? What are you going to do with all this grace? What are you going to do with all this gift? Your whole life is gift. It's all bonus. It's all, uh, as uh, uh, my friend Darren says, it's all house money. And so uh, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with it? And this is the part that Romans 12 is all about, is just the tumbling forth of possibilities now that we have this new life that's constituted by nothing but gift. Nothing but gift. So what are the implications? Well, the very first thing he says is he says, take this life of yours, this, uh, this body that you've been given, and present it to God. Present it as a living sacrifice. We do have the wrong idea of sacrifice, and we need to, we need to adjust this. We think sacrifice is only about death. That may be in a pagan context, it may even be in an American context, but it's not in an Old Testament context. In the Old Testament, sacrifice is not primarily about death, it's primarily about gift. So one of the sacrifices was a loaf of bread. You don't kill a loaf of bread. Yes, some of it was animals, but the animals were killed before they were sacrificed. They were two different things. So if you ever hear in church somebody says, you need to sacrifice yourself for this church, and they, what they mean is you need to give up your whole life for the church. That's not what it means. It means to offer your life as a gift. Your whole life is a gift. It's all bonus. So you offer it back as a gift. You offer it to God as a gift and thanks. He doesn't need it. But you offer it and give thanks. And then you offer it to each other. You offer it to the world. You offer it to people around you. Again, as gift. Everything here is gift. It's all gift. So that's what that means when he says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God. This is your reasonable worship. This is the worship that makes sense. This is, what you're, this is, this is the only thing that would make sense based on the mercies of God. Okay, so, so he, it's interesting he talks about bodies, right? I mean, you know, we normally think this Christianity stuff is about the spirit and the mind, but he says, no, 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 it's about bodies. Because bodies are where we meet people. Bodies are our relationships. 
It's not think one thing and do something else, it's, it's how we act and move in the world. That's what this is about. This is about our, our, our way of, of, of connecting with other people. But it's not just about bodies, because then he's going to move on and talk about the mind. He's going to talk about what we think. And he says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, simple frame of reference here about what that means. Whatever is like really, really important in the world, just flip it. Just flip it upside down. So that, that's just like a helpful way of not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Just flip it. So, you know, in the world, um, it's better to be first, right? And then Jesus says, the last shall be first. Oh, just flip it. Ah, that's not too tough. Um, in the world, the last thing you want to be is someone who's mourning. The last thing you want to be is someone who's poor. The last thing you want to be is someone who's persecuted for righteousness' sake. The last thing you want to be is someone who's meek. But for Jesus, all those people are blessed. So you just flip it. Upside down. That's one way. That's a really simple, helpful way of not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Just flip it upside down. Okay. So he, he kind of prefaces with all that stuff. And it, it's all a theme. And the theme throughout all of it is gift. The, three, the theme throughout all of it is grace. And then he's going to get into community. And this is a bit of a paradox. Because you would think that if God gives you a gift, you don't need anything at all. Right? I mean, if God gives you a life, then your life is sufficient. Your life is complete. That's true. And then he also says, you need a, a, a bunch of other people. <laughs> it's, it's both. It's a paradox. <clears throat> so, so he says, by the grace given to me, what I want you to do is I want you to be part of a community, and I want you to share the gifts that God has given you with the community. And here, check this out. God gives different gifts. But I, I thought, I thought that um, when God gives me a whole life, it's a complete life. It is. It's totally complete. It's not just complete. It's overabundant. It's more than enough. And what Paul's saying is that overabundance, you can share that with other people, and they get to see something of God that they haven't seen in other places. So every one of us has something like that. Um, <clears throat> uh, I, think, I think one area where people get a little bit tripped up here is that he gives like a really short list of the gifts. And then in other places, he gives these other lists. The point is not to pay attention to the lists. Just, just, you can almost ignore the lists. Let's just say it like this. Every single one of you has a grace, a gift, that is unique, that says something about God that no one else says. So by me interacting with you, I see something about God that I would never have seen in any other way. Never, ever would have seen. And there might, and, 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 and there's something that I can offer. That you get to see something about God that you wouldn't have seen in any other way. Is what you see in me complete of God? No. Heavens, no. Um, that's not the point. The point here, again, is about gift, and it's about abundance. It's about more than enough. It's about being able to see, uh, we're talking about an infinite God here. Is there, any, is there any limit on what he can give? No. 
Is there any cap? No. That's why you gotta stay away from the lists, because the lists suggest a finite amount of gifts. There's an infinite amount, there are as many gifts as there are people. Let's put it that way. So what, whoever you are has now become a gift to the community, and the community needs to see it. I think it's fascinating that he says, don't think too highly of yourselves, because we all think too lowly of ourselves. That's way more common than the thinking too highly of ourselves. But here's what happened. Um, the gospel comes into the Roman culture, and it just blows everything up. Some of it was sort of subtle and took time. Other things just went kablooey. So, for instance, in this particular letter, he has sent someone named Phoebe. And he has sent Phoebe to basically be his representative in Rome. The, Paul the Apostle is represented by this person named Phoebe. And Phoebe's going to read the letter. Phoebe's going to be in charge of, of, of the teaching. Because she's the one who brought it. This is not okay in Roman society. What were women for? W women were there to help the men produce offspring because the real value in Roman society was your offspring, was your legacy. This was, this was more important than anything. In fact, they, like, they have these crazy stories about Zeus and how Zeus would sort of bypass the women so he could have more children. And so he, you know, okay, okay so kids, this is mythological, this is not real, okay, but it's troubling. Um, so Zeus would, uh, there would be a woman and, and he'd kill her, but he'd take the baby and he'd sew it into his thigh and then he'd give birth to the child through his thigh. It's just bizarre, right? He did it with a, he, he ate another, this is again, mythology, okay? But he ate another one and then he gave birth to it through its head. This is, this is, all, this is all mythological. But, but the point is, is they, what they did is they took their greatest the things they mattered most, and they created a fictional story to, to represent it. And the thing that mattered most was male progeny, because that's how they would live on. And women were just a tool for that. And then Paul comes along and says, no, nah, no, nah, women are not that. Women are co-workers in the gospel. Women are children of God. Um, I depend on them. I'm sending you Phoebe, and, and, and she's, she's in charge of his teaching in the Roman environment. Slaves. Slaves were not allowed to have relationships with anybody else. They were given names like first, second, third, fourth. Um, they weren't allowed to have gravestones. Uh, they, they weren't allowed to have a legacy. They didn't know who their parents were. Their children disappeared taken away from them. Paul says, there's no difference between me and my brother whose name is third. And we are both brothers and sisters. In the we are brothers in the gospel. We share the same gift. We're on the same standing. We're the equal standing in the Lord. No difference. No difference. And this was an explosion in Roman society. It obliterated all the ways of understanding and knowing that they had and just, and just disintegrated. And you'd think with that kind of freedom, you'd start to think like, I could do anything. This is amazing. And so Paul's like, okay, okay, <laughs> hold your horses. Just like, don't think too highly 
in the sense that you still need other people. You still need other people. And I think that's why he says that. I think what, that's what was starting to happen. Now, again, now in our context, I think we, we actually tend to think of ourselves a little too lowly. And the only thing I would say to that, in the way that we think about ourselves, is that when we withhold the gifts we have, any gift that we have, when we withhold it, we're not withholding something about us, we're withholding something about God. And you might be nervous to bring part of yourself into a community. You might be nervous to, to say what's important to you. You might be nervous to exercise your gifts. You might be nervous for a lot of reasons, but it's not you you're bringing into the community. It's the life that God has given you. And so when you withhold that, you're withholding part of who God is. That's different. And if somebody doesn't like it, if somebody says, I don't like this thing that you're bringing into the community, they don't have a beef with you, they have a beef with God. And they can take that up with God. But we're all invited to bring something. And it doesn't have to be, you know, I remodeled the church basement or I've preached a hundred sermons. It could just be presence. It could just be you being here, you being present, you telling me a story about your week, whatever. Bringing tortilla wraps, those are delicious. Um, I don't know if there's any back there, but somebody brought some tortilla wraps. These are all gifts, but they're all from God himself. After this, I mean, after he talks about community, Paul, again, it's just this tumbling forth of implications. And if we, if we really said, okay, yeah, we're going to take this seriously, it would definitely change the world many, many, many times over. And in fact, we spent all last summer talking about Christian communities throughout the last 20 centuries that have changed the world through the way they responded in certain situations. We talked about, um, we talked about Lawrence. One of, the first, one of the first people we talked about. Old Lawrence from uh, uh, somewhere in the 200s AD. And the magistrate came in and said, this is a church, yes. I want all your wealth, all your riches. You have three days to collect it and give it to the Caesar. And so the soldier comes back, representative of the magistrate comes back. And he comes to Lawrence and he says, give me all your riches. And Lawrence takes him to a room where all the poor are. And he says, here are the riches of the church. That's how you change the world. He flipped it. He was not conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of his mind. He flipped it and he, and he, changed, and he was part of changing the world. He was beheaded. Let, let me just be clear. Lawrence was beheaded. So let's, let's not be, you know, dandelion rainbow about this. Um, uh, you know, there's consequences for changing the world. Uh, but they are nothing compared to the gift of God. Again, next week we're going to be baptizing. And I just can't think of a better picture. Because the picture of baptism is the picture of Christ. And the picture of Christ is someone who lived completely upside down. He had the power to change the world in all the ordinary ways, and he decided not to do that. He decided instead to be faithful to the Father. He was killed. 
And through that death, the Father raised them from the dead and actually completely transformed the world so that all we have to do is walk into that. So that's the best news of this morning. The world has already been transformed by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we are invited to walk into that, to live as Jesus lived in that new world that already exists. Amen. Lord, what do we have that you have not given? What do we have that you have not given? We present to you our lives in thanks. In your son's name we pray, amen. Now may the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace.